Welcome back to Geekish Cast, episode 71, Remember the 5th of November. Supplemental episode to Geekish Cast comic ca- commentary with Jeremy and Paul. So I am Jeremy, your regular host, joined by Paul. How you doing there, Paul? What's up, Jeremy? Doing very well. And also, and also joining us tonight from Return to Camp Blood, the Friday the Thirteenth fan podcast. We got Chris. How you doing, Chris? Hey, hey, hey. He's <laughs> the phone. Been a while since you've been on. Glad you could make it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we hadn't hadn't talked in a while, so. Uh, the other night, Chris and I were talking on Skype, and we good time last time. Uh, you know, well, come on, we talk on Skype all the time, drunk. Oh, yeah. oh sure we do. Come yeah, on, we that's all time on Skype, drunk. drunk. Yeah, well, it's, if it's a Friday or a <laughs> yes. Sunday night, and we're on Skype, I've been drinking. Yeah. So yeah. Well, but yeah, um, yeah. the last time we were on talking, you had a I can't remember the young man's name. Mike, he was a film director from Canada. Um, oh yeah, Mike Doyle, who does. Uh, he he. We had him on the show. I, I can't remember the episode number, but um, he does. Um, he did a. Um, actually, he's in a couple Friday Thirteenth fan films. So yeah, look him up on YouTube. Uh, his his handle is Doyle Pictures, I believe. Um, it's yeah, it's pretty I, good for what it is. And I think he was on episode thirty one of Return to Camp Blood. That's what I have in my notes. So I'm hoping that's correct. Oh, look at you. More prepared about my show than I am. <laughs> well, but I'm more prepared about your show, but I can't remember shit about mine, so that's where we're going to come in. Um, but anyways, we were talking about V for Vendetta, and to start us off here, because I actually have a, a hate boner for that movie, but I love the comic, um, I'm actually going to dip back into the well and go back to an article my wife wrote under the moniker Real Girl, R-E-E-L-G-U-R-L, for the Santa Cruz Sentinel in April of 2006, after we saw the film. Um, And this was called, and you have to remember, this was before the Wachowskis uh, publicly transitioned or came out about their transitions. So in the article, they may be called the Wachowski brothers, but they have both come out as transgender since that time. So please bear with me if I get some genders or names wrong as we do this. Um, so the, her article starts like, or her essay starts like this. There's no easy way to say this, so please forgive me for being blunt. It has, however, become glaringly apparent that the Wachowskis do not like you. Well, they might let you buy them dinner at some swanky restaurant, and will most probably smile and nod as you praise them endlessly for the Matrix. But when you excuse yourself to pay the check, just know they're rolling their eyes and making lame jokes at your expense. Please don't take it personally, because it's not just you. In fact, judging from their adaptation of Alan Moore's V for Vendetta, um, and she has Andy and Larry uh, Wachowski here. I didn't update the names. Don't think too highly of any of us. I tell you this not out of spite or some unfulfilled desire for an ugly scene, but because I want you to go armed into that swanky restaurant, fully prepared to call them on their dismissal, of the audience as sappy and sophisticated and more comfortable with grandiose explosions and spurning blood than with difficult questions, complex characters, and ambiguity. <clears throat> to that end, I shall outline for you their three most egregious sins. 
I'd say four sins, except that sheer clumsiness is probably more of an unfortunate fault than an outright sin. I suppose that the best place to start would be the whitewashing, that concerted effort to scrub the story clean of anything that might seem somehow unsavory. V himself, as played by Hugo Weaving, has been reduced to a dimensionless caricature devoid of the black humor and inherent, insens- uh, yeah, inherent instability that makes him so complex and great. And as for Evie, Natalie Portman, well, instead of a 16-year-old waif trying to sell herself on the street, the tidied-up movie version of her character is well-groomed, has a polite job, and is savvy enough to carry her own pepper spray. I could go on, but if I did, I'd be guilty of giving away the secrets tucked into the pages of the very book I want you to be curious enough to read. So let's talk sentimentality. I'd hate to be the first to tell you that there is no grand romance between V and Evie in the novel, except that I know you can take it. I believe that you are mature enough to grasp the sad truth and not every story needs to be hinged on a romantic subplot. I'm not sure whose idea the whole Evie kissing the mask sequence was, but the creep-out factor of that scene alone was enough to convince me that V and Evie did not need cuddle time. Still, the screenwriters barged ahead with the romance and wrapped it with a sweet red bow, changing V's final words to Evie from Give Me a Viking Funeral to From the First Moment I Saw You, Nothing Else Mattered. I swear, I just hearing that line gave me three cavities. <laughs> more, but more than whitewashing and more than sentimentality, <laughs> it was the rewriting of Vendetta's central theme that offended me. You see, the novel is not about answers, but about questions. The Wachowskis have replaced the original questions with simpler ones, the kind of questions we can all feel good about because we're pretty damn sure we know the answers. Instead of allowing the audience to grapple with fascism versus anarchy, which is at the heart of Vendetta, they choose the more comfortable fascism versus democracy. And in response, let me just say, wow, there's a subject that hasn't been tackled before in cinema. I suppose in a pre-Sin City world, you could argue effectively that this is impossible to accurate, accurately translate a graphic novel to film. But thanks to Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller, I am no more willing to accept the argument that I am too coddled, clumsy, whitewashed, pre-digested film versions of great books. Shame on the Wachowskis for dumbing down Moore's deliciously dangerous V for Vendetta and for assuming their audience couldn't handle anything more challenging than a few splashes of blood and long strings of words that start with the letter V. Originally published, Santa Cruz Sentinel... April 10, 2006, by Jules Vilmer. So, so she okay, liked that is okay. So, I, I, I can, I can, I can appreciate, I can, I can appreciate that opinion. Um, and I'll, I'll just say up front, uh, I am, I'm actually more of a fan of the movie than the, than the book. Um, not necessarily saying that the book was bad. I still thought it was great, but I like, like them for different reasons so mm-hmm. she talks about sort of whitewashing um the the sort of uh you know arc in the, the book but here, here's the thing about what the wachowskis did um so alan moore wrote the book and sort of a reaction to um margaret thatcher you know the uh, margaret 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 thatcher okay so mm-hmm. it, it made the, the the book made sense in that light I mean, however, you know, the, the, the Wachowskis sort of did like a, you know, like what the, the Battlestar Galactica reimagining did and was, you know, adapt the story to things happening now. Um, so uh, I, I could, given, given 
in the Bush administration at the time, I, I could I understand why they made sort of the changes they did, and I can appreciate them because of that. Uh, uh, so I I don't think it was necessarily a whitewashing, more so as just a retelling to what what's going what was going on in American politics at the time. Mm-hmm. Which would still take it from fascism versus anarchy to neoconservatism versus liberal democracy. Yes. It was not – to me, it wasn't – No, agreed. Agreed. Um, it was I, an inspiration. Yeah, I don't, I, don't even, I don't even disagree with that. Um, like I said, it, 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 they did sort of the same thing that the, you know, the Battlestar um, reimagining did. Um, they, they took the basic shell of the story – um, and and added modern elements into it, and I mean, may, I'm 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 pretty sure I'm younger than you guys, so um, maybe that's why I appreciate the movie a little more than you do. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure they could have something to do with it. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm in my early 40s, so I mean, I definitely I remember the Reagan Thatcher years. Let me put it like that. Yeah. Uh, no, I um, mean, I, I I do do I I I do dislike the fact that the the the, the movie. Be downplayed the more um, anarchist elements to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because you know, and I, <laughs> I am depending on the situation. I I could be in favor of anarchy, not as like a perpetual state because that would never work, but as a way to sort of restart, you know, the the government or whatever. Um, and I felt like the the, the the book did do a good job of um, portraying anarchy in that light, whereas the movie, I really felt like um, they should have played up higher, you know, played up more. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, man, like I, I thought, I thought given what they did with the film, it made for a better story, at least at that point in time, than the book. Okay. I could see that. Paul, what do you think? Um, I kind of agree and disagree on all sides. In the, the Wachowski's defense, um, in the book, Evie does kiss the mask at one point. So, oh, see, I, I didn't even, I didn't even cast that in <laughs> class read through. She, she does. Oh, you know what? She does, but he shoots her down. That's what it well, is. Well, it, it wasn't a romantic thing. She just thanks him and kisses the mask. It wasn't yeah. uh, at all a romantic thing like they portrayed in the film. Uh, but it does happen. And, and the, yeah, the movie does but actually, she she kind of makes a play for a slight play for him, and yes. he shoots her down. She asks well. him if yeah. you know if she's interested in that way, and of course he plays it down because in the book um, they do a really good job of dehumanizing V. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's in no way human. He's he's an idea, and I think the book does a better job of making him just an idea and not a person than. The movie, the movie goes out of its way to make him hum, like humanize him a lot more. You know, and one thing I want to say real quick, I I could have sworn, and it had been a while both since I'd seen the movie and since I'd read the book, I could have sworn there was more question about who V actually was. I thought the you know it could have been Valerie or the patient from Room Five. No, uh, the I mean the as in that in that regard, the book and the movie are pretty much in line as far as I can mm-hmm. remember. No, and it's it's one of those things. After reseeing yeah. and rereading, I was like, I could have sworn there was more ambiguity about that as well. So, 
Because I had read a quote from Alan Moore at one point where he said that originally his idea was about a cross-dressing um, anarchist, and nobody wanted to publish oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that stuck out in my head. <laughs> they didn't, they can, they didn't yeah, quite I, the I, Guy I, Fox it, thing at that point. Right. Yeah, the the sort of reveal, I mean, it was the movie pretty much had it shot for shot from the book. I mean, as far as, like I said, as far as I can remember. Um, oh yeah, the fire. And- admittedly, ad- admittedly, I did not, um, I did not brush up on either one before this because mm-hmm. I've been busy remodeling my bathroom. But <laughs> oh, that uh, <laughs> oh, is that where all that lath and plaster busting was coming from the other I day? I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> Well, let's. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of the characters real quick, though, because again, Evie in the movie is a twenty-something uh, news uh, intern. It looked like, yeah. and in the book, she's a sixteen-year-old girl who goes out of the house to try to turn a trick to make some money because she's so desperate for income. Yeah, they're completely different. Yeah, so I mean that that to me was kind of like the first thing about the movie that the movie version really kind of set me at odds with it just off of that. Well, the movie didn't. I mean. The movie does sorry. Uh, the oh, I'm movie, sorry. Go ahead. The movie doesn't have the time to develop the character like the book does. Right. So I, yeah. I can understand some of the decisions they have to make. They can't just go from the 16 year old girl who, you know, would never dare uh, go against the government at the time. Uh, they don't have the time to develop her from going to that, ni- you know, being completely naive to uh, essentially taking V's place. In the movie, you kind of have to develop her as someone already who's second-guessing the way things are being run. Right. Well, and that's why they made her parents revolutionaries. Yeah. Also, the period of time covered in the movie is one year to the day. And in the comic, it's a few years. Yeah, it's a couple years. Yeah. Um, also, i got to remember now, because I had notes, and I, of course, didn't keep them right in front of me, but when he blows up the Bailey, Evie isn't with him. She's back at his bat cave. And also, the end of the movie, this is the thing where I think that it made it most egregious to me. It wasn't a bunch of people dressed like him storming Parliament. They destroyed Parliament uh, previous to that. This was when his body was used to blow up 10 Downing Street. Yeah, so in the movie, he blows up Parliament first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I believe so. Yeah, he blows up the parliament first. No, no, first in the movie, he, he blows up the old Bailey first. Oh, I'm sorry, in the movie, he blows up the Bailey well, first, yes. The <laughs> parliament. And then you're right, Downing Street is at the end. Right. So they, they Which, swap that, and it really bums me out, because one of my favorite parts in the book is the monologue with V talking to Justice, and he's, like, essentially breaking up with her. Right, that, like a like a spurned lover. Oh, dude, yeah. that is the best Alan Moore man. That is my f- absolute favorite part in the book is his conversation with Justice. It is amazing, and I'm super bummed they did, they didn't use that because they easily could have used that into in the movie, and they didn't. And uh, to me, that's a huge wasted opportunity because it was so good. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a great scene. I was just, oh, and I was thinking back towards the end of it, the movie, too. They have a bunch of people dressed as V or dressed up like V, storm parliament. They blow it up. But the whole idea is that all the people were living on in his spirit and taking back the government. 
Whereas the comic ends with Evie taking his place and then kidnapping a person for her to train to take her place. Yes. Uh, the yeah. Very, very different tones. Well, I, I, man, I, th- I thought the... I thought mm-hmm. that scene was was epic. I mean, because it's like Evie says, you know, he's my dad, he's my mom, he's my sister, you know, he's my whatever. Man, that that every time I watch that scene, it just gives me chills. I love that scene so much. Yeah, you don't yeah, think I mean, it gives her a much more passive voice than the ending of the comic, though, where she is V. No, it uh, it it does, but I don't mind that. Um, with the exception of that, the last thing that he says to her, because I really like what he says in the book way better um, mm-hmm. than, um, you know, he does in the movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily have a, have a problem with her being a little passive um, because her, her moment of strength comes when she's looking at the cop in the face and just fucking hits the button anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with that at all. Okay. Yeah, see that was a pro- that was a, that's my primary issue is the way they wrap up the story. Well, to me, to me, the difference is in, in the book, um, Al Moore and David Lloyd, um, they leave it to us, the reader, to make that decision that he essentially presents to us. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to remain quiet? Is this good? Is this you know, or do you choose anarchy, or do you choose you know a government that's going to hold your hand and take care of you forever? In the movie. Right. It's a movie. It has to have a beginning and an end. The book doesn't have an end. It leaves it to us to choose. So I understand why yeah, the Kowskis did what they did. <clears throat> they they had to end the movie. And I thought they ended it in a good way, good way. I don't dislike the movie. It's different from the book. They're both good things, in my opinion. I like them both. They're just different. And like Chris yeah, was saying, yeah, agreed. because of the time that the movie came out, it reflected the time just like the book did. I mean, you could prefer one or the other. I just don't think the movie necessarily had a bad ending. It just had an ending. It ended. The people right. obviously chose that they're going to hold the government accountable now and so forth. Yeah, and, and so that ended. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I like about the ending because it it, it tells you, hey, you you need to stand up fascism wherever you see it. Don't just sit there and let it happen. Do something about it. So I I like the message um, that the film leaves you with. Right. Well, and um, one of the things I liked about both that I think both got correct was that, well, actually, the the government in the movie was much more heavy-handed than the government in the book. Oh, intentionally so. Yes, and but both of them blame it on the guy sitting on his couch watching yep. TV. The bad guy not, is is the people. Yeah, both but that people. is the bad guy. That is exactly. The bad guy. It's the exactly. people. It's us. <laughs> well, that's that's the yeah, thing. Exactly. See, Alan Moore. Alan Moore didn't give us a pass, and neither did the Wachowskis. And for that, I I give them both cred for maintaining that element, because that I think is the most important thing. Uh, just like that book that came out in the '30s that they eventually based the. Um, the TV ser- miniseries V on it was called It Couldn't Happen Here, and it was about a fascist government taking over in uh, the UK. Mm-hmm. Because you know, well, look, fascism was a big deal in the forties. <laughs> yeah, know? it was spreading like wildfire. It's, and it's about to be a big deal now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, back in the forties, uh, several members of Congress 
backed by several rich industrialists, actually approached a general uh, major from the Marine Corps named Smedley Butler about assassinating and uh, having a military coup over FDR. So it was almost a much bigger deal than, than we had. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if nobody's ever heard about that, go look up the business plot sometime. I'll have to check that. And it does, and it does involve the Bush family. But the the one thing I think the book uh, did significantly better, or not necessarily took the easy route like the movie did, mm-hmm. was the government, the the people in power, the the bad guys, quote unquote. Um, they weren't they weren't evil. Like no, could, they were failed. Uh, they were flawed people. You could understand where they were coming from, whereas in the movie. Like, you could almost sympathize with some of the people in the book, but in the movie, they oh, were sure. just evil. Yeah. Like, you just well, they were very them. they were very much two-dimensional characters in the in the show. Yeah, and, and Peter Susan, at, even in the book, man, I almost, I like, I kind of almost felt bad for the guy. Like, even well, though he was he the was leader. In, he was in love with the computer, yeah, and his, his grasp was tenuous at best. He felt like he was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he thought he was, you know, preserving order and keeping the country together. In the movie, right. it was just blatant, like, you know, they're just evil and they just want control and power. Uh, you know, in the book, Susan was actually the only one who wasn't obsessed by power. All the other guys in the government around them were tr- plotting to take over, like, the entire right. time in the book. Yeah. Well, and another thing the book did was it kind of wandered off of the main characters, and we followed criminals and... yes. And, uh, you know, grifters and their spouses and bureaucrats and the whole bit through the story. Oh, absolutely. And those characters did come back because uh, uh, Susan, who was, I believe they changed his name to Sutland in the movie. Yeah. Or Sut- yeah. I can't remember if I'm having a brain fart for some reasons. Yeah. The book seems my mind better than the movie for some reason. Yeah. Very different deaths for those for that, that character. Yes, they were both killed. Um, so one was killed by his right-hand man who was trying to take over the government. Uh, yeah, Creedy. Creedy killed him in the movie, and then uh, Rose Almond killed him in the book. Killed him in the book, right? But she wasn't even in the movie. Nope, that was one of those those entire sections they just left out. Yeah, there was a lot of characters left out, but I mean, I can, they just don't have the time in a movie. Yeah, actually, I mean, the, the main differences probably are in the the third or fifth yes. act of the movie. The wrap-up is really where the, the real difference kicks in. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would say the last third is completely different. And they, I mean, they use certain things, um, interchanging a couple things, you know, like the, what, what he blows up and when he blows it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the last third is really the big difference. And, and yeah, the government's kind of different. Right. And well, to me also, just the characterization of V himself is completely different. Like when he's cooking that breakfast, man, I roll my eyes. He, yeah, I don't know. There's something very, I don't know, Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck to him, and they play it up also during the scene that the TV producer puts on. I can't think of his name, Gordon. Remember, he does the comedy bit where he has. Uh, oh, Gordon. V. Yeah. Yeah. In the yeah. movie, they do the comedy bit. Yeah. The Bugs Bunny effect of that was that I couldn't help but see him as Bugs Bunny throughout the rest of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Gordon. the scene talked about. Yeah, yeah, well, but that was, was, that's not even technically him, though. Well, right, yeah. but it, it helped inform my view of the character in the movie because then I just saw him as a fucking clown throughout the rest of it. 
V's death is very different. That showdown with all the cops after he kills Susan. Yeah, because uh, what Finch? Yeah, kills him in the in the book with, with one shot. With, uh, well, more than one, but well, a couple shots. Yeah, a couple shots. It wasn't it wasn't a dozen guys emptying their clips into him. Yeah, completely different. It was it was kind of just like by happenstance that just Finch found him. Yep, no grand, no grand, uh, you know, showdown at the sunup. Yeah. Um, though I have to say, the scene where he kills all the cops with uh, Creedy is pretty badass. In the movie. Yeah, the movie's way oh, more yeah. like an action-packed, like superhero movie. And I think that's that was part of my issue with it is it really didn't know what it was because it was trying to be a superhero movie because it was definitely a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it kind of got itself confused is they went, well, yeah, he's like Batman. Yeah, they made him more of a physical. Ass kicker, kicker in the movie than they did than he was in the book. In the book, he was all about manipulation and setting things in motion. The whole domino thing was lost in the movie. The dominoes in the movie was just a visual effect. Yeah, but it looked really it, that did look really cool when he knocked the dominoes over. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in the book, it actually is a pretty good metaphor for what's going on the entire time. Well, yeah, I mean the book, I mean, is all about anarchy, and they don't mention anarchy at all. No, the they movie. really don't. So that's really hard for fans of the I mean, book to get a hold of. I mean, they they don't explicitly mention it, but I think it's implicit at least a little bit, um, especially when you watch the end scene where they're all rushing, you know, the the police. I see. I took that to be a pro democracy thing. Yeah, to me, to me, the movie didn't seem like it was anti, you know, government. Or pro anarchy, where you just lead our, yourself. No, I, I I agree. I'm just saying there there were little implicit um, parts to me that that at least showed a little bit of anarchy. Um, and like I said, what jumps out to me is the the last scene there. I mean, because they're all you know they're all dressed like V, and they're all rushing you know rushing the cops. But yeah, I guess you could make the case either way. Um, that's just how I took it. I think if I'd never read the book, I wouldn't even thought Anarchy once if I'd just watched the movie. Well, and this again, this came out in 2006, and that was as the Bush administration was starting to be seen unfavorably, not just across the world, but in this country. Yeah, Patriot, Patriot Act and all that stuff. Right. And um, they definitely borrowed some things. Like, you remember all the um, Guantanamo Bay pictures that came out and everybody's wearing black hoods. Yeah, the black heads. bag was not at all ever in the book, the book, but mm-hmm. it was heavy. I mean, they even call it black bagging. Right. I mean, they definitely visually borrowed the lexicon of um, the disappearing and holding terrorist suspects, which to me is kind of funny because in the book, V is very much a terrorist. I'm very much. A terrorist. Oh, he, he is a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt. You know, and they change him into, I don't know, and I, I maybe I'm putting too fine a point on it. To me, he felt like they were trying to make him a freedom fighter in the movie, whereas in the book, I didn't get that sense. He was he was out and out to create anarchy, to spread terror, period. That's what I took from it. Yeah. I, w- you know, I would agree was, with that. Yeah. Chris, am I, am I putting too fine a point on it, you think, or what do you think there? Uh, I think you are. I mean... Like I said, overall, I mean, you don't get you don't get sort of the the same anarchist feel, but I mean, he is still trying to 
he's still basically a terrorist in that film. Um, yes, yeah, some of the things he says is sort of pro-democracy, but, you know, like I said at the start of the show, I could be in favor of anarchy in some th- and and uh, in some situations, not as a perpetual thing, but as a way to restart things. And I felt like the the movie V um, sort of embodied that sort of anarchy. Was anybody else bothered by when they started taking the masks off? All the dead people were there. Well, I mean, uh, no, I wasn't bothered by it because it it, it sort of went along with the monologue Evie was saying about, you know, V is this person and that person. Yeah. So, no, I I didn't have a problem with that. It was I don't don't think it was meant to be taken literal. (laughs) I didn't take it literally anyway. (laughs) No, I think that's actually where I threw popcorn at the screen and went, fuck. No, man, I think it was very much uh, pulled from the book when they did that because uh, to me anyways – so, you know, after V dies, he asks her, you know, uh, you know, you should know who I am, but you should never know who I am. Like, basically, like, you shouldn't in Evie's debating in her head whether she should go and take the mask off of V. Right. And even she plays it out. She takes the mask off and it's always a different face. Right. So I think that they pulled from that and did it in the, you know, the scene at the end where they all pull their masks off. It's all a different face. So V is this ideal, and whoever it is, you know, it's you. So I thought that was actually pretty good. They they pulled that small part from the book and just kind of put it in the the film in a good way. Personally, I think that was they did a good job with that. Yep, I, I thought it was ham fisted and stupid. <laughs> That's okay. If you're wrong. Well, like I said, I can I can appreciate the book and the movie for entirely different reasons. Well, maybe not entirely different reasons, but you can appreciate them separate from each other, though. Exactly, yeah. and I just happen to enjoy the movie more than the book, you know. And and here's something we didn't really talk about. When you really think about it, this is the story about some uh, about a terrorist who takes in a teenage kid, radicalizes uh, radicalizes them, and uses them to carry on his uh, suicide bombing mission. Yeah, ISIS much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which, to be fair, Paul, if you uh, you could actually apply that to the story of a new hope too, a religious radical kidnaps a teenager, radicalizes him uh, in the name of an ancient religion, and then billions of people die. Those are some bold words from a man who's I, in a different state than I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. Yeah, because otherwise I'd be pounding on your door right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying Obi Wan Kenobi is a an, uh, a feet snob or a oh, child bust or anything. How but, dare yeah. you, sir? You, <laughs> Again, no, I, I love Obi Wan. <laughs> You're a long uh, ways away to do any damage now, sir. Um, in the book, after um, after V kills um, Lilliman, um, she runs away from him and is kind of just off on her own for a while. But in the, I think that's yeah. the. Yeah, but in the movie, she kind of has less time away from V before he gets her again after being at, um, what is it, uh, Dietrich's house? <laughs> no, there's definitely a difference there. Like in the movie, she straight sells him out with, you know, Bishop. And in the book, she goes through with it, but she's super pissed because she doesn't want to kill anybody. Yeah, and I could I could never understand that scene in the movie. Um because on, I think you could take that 
a couple ways. Um, on one hand, you know, she is she's not wanting to do it, and so she's trying to, uh, you know, sort of save the guy. But on the other hand, at the same time, it kind of feels like part of the act. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I still don't know how I even feel about that scene. To be honest with you, I, I don't know if, I don't know if she was trying to help him or just that was just playing along. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't even know how to take that scene. Um, yeah, I, obviously, yeah, at, yeah. at the end of that scene is where she runs away. But still, like, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know which way I, I need to take that that scene at all. Um, you know, I, I'm going to kind of focus on Detective Finch for a minute here, too. Totally different from in the book. Very yeah. different, because, like, in the movie, they kind of set him up as the only guy with a conscience. He's the cop that's starting to look at everything. Well, first off, there's a subplot in the movie that's not in the book that he starts to pull on the threads of and follow. Yeah. In the book, he goes to Lark Hill, the hospital that uh, Valerie... Well, basically, it's a concentration camp is what yeah. it is. Um, they kind of back off of the fact that there's a, a if you're gay, they kill you. They make it a an experimental thing all the way through. But there was a full-scale concentration camp at Lark Hill in the book. Uh-huh. Detective Finch goes back to Lark Hill and does a shit ton of LSD. LSD. Yeah. I didn't even see this much LSD the last time I saw the Pink Floyd laser light show. And this puts him in V's brain. Yeah, that's why he goes. He wants to figure V out. Now, what a very – here's the thing. So Alan Moore is of an age when they believe that LSD opened and cleared the doors of perception into the soul and the universe. Mm-hmm. What a very interesting look inside his mind just that part is. That You do a whole bunch of LSD, and now you understand the madman who's raging a one, waging a one-man war against fascism. Yeah. And that allows him to see into V's mind enough to figure out an idea where to just bumble into him and shoot him. That's a that's a right? that's a cop out though. Like, yes, it is. <laughs> I really thought that was fucking stupid. Like, no, I, I am going to give you that one because I was like, that is very very weird. Yeah, <laughs> he, he puts it. All I, I yeah, I much like the way he puts together he puts it together in the film. Um, it seemed more uh, it seemed more uh, organic and natural to me the way he did it in the film, or, or at least using detective skills. You know, not yes. just like I'm gonna get a whole bunch of LSD and then oh, fuck, that's what it is. That yeah. seemed to be so far out of left field. While it was, an, I thought it was an interesting look at Alan Moore. I thought it did no service to the story whatsoever. Yeah. Finch comes across V, he shoots him. In the in the movie, V cuts a deal with Dick Cheney, essentially, to bring him <laughs> Sutler. Yeah. yeah. I mean, am I, am I, I wrong? Mean, I, mean, is, yeah, no. I don't think they did that on, on accident. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was accidental at all. He looked a bit like Cheney, he acted like Cheney, and he drank blood like Cheney. <laughs> um, he cuts a deal to have him bring uh, Susan or... what is What is it in the movie, guys? Is it Sutter? So Dick Cheney brings or Creedy brings him uh, Sutter Sutton and kills Sutton so he can take over the party, and then the really cool knife fight happens. I guess one does work better in a movie. You know, that just that looked amazing 
but it also pulled me back out of the story. I, I there was a, a semi level of heightened realism to the book, and then a crazy over the top action based realism to the movie, and I think that was what made it harder for me to get into the movie. Would uh, Paul, what what do you think the disconnect was, or what do you think the major stylistic difference was, and which one did you prefer? Well, I I think the movie is good because I got I was pretty lucky as to where I'd probably been like ten years since mm-hmm. I'd read the book um, when I saw the movie, so I kind of forgot enough to just take the movie as it was, you know. Sure. So I thought it was a good movie. I did, but. I prefer the book um, mainly just because, I mean, I think Alan Moore is one of the greatest comic book writers to ever live. So just the enjoyment of reading his words on page, I enjoy the book more. Okay. You know, I mean, he just has, he, he the guy can just freaking write his way, you know, like it's just ridiculous how good of a writer is. Yeah. But, but at the time, the movie was very poignant, you know, and it it very much was a, a reflection of the time. So I thought it was good. Uh, the only part that I rolled my eyes was like, this is stupid, is when I saw him cooking breakfast. He cooking breakfast. <laughs> That's the one thing that just, I'm like, kid, oh, are you kidding no, me? No, I, I love that part because like like, <laughs> you, like, like like one of you guys said earlier, you know, the, the comic sort of dehumanizes V, whereas – you know, scenes like that in the movie actually make him feel like a fucking person. Plus, you know, it was sort of um, foreshadowing for that scene, that, uh, you know, that she spent with Dietrich. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, it was a little cheesy, but I, I thought it was fine. Um, because then also in that scene, you you see, sort of. Uh, um, one of V's, he was vulnerable for a second because he wasn't wearing his gloves, and it gave Evie a reason to ask him, you know, why his fucking hands look like that. I could see that, yeah. But you're right; he's very dehumanized in the book, intentionally so. Yes. And and is much more of a interpersonal character in the in the movie. I could definitely see that. And yeah, I'm not and saying I, and I it's like, like a horrible it. decision. It's just like I wasn't personally feeling it. <laughs> right. Well, it's just a very different different take to go with. Yeah, and I, I mean to be to be fair, I I saw the movie before I read the book, so that might be why I have more fondness for the film. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. But you now do you you do like the comic or you don't like the comic, Chris? No, I do. I like it. Okay. I like it. But like I said, I I like I like them for different reasons. But I. I would rate the movie over the over the book all day. Oh, I can see that. Hey, Paul, what's a what's another work by Alan Moore that you really like? Well, The Watchmen, obviously, that's that's an easy one. But uh, Swamp Thing, man. Yeah, that initial run on Swamp Jeez, Thing. Is pretty I mean, it's just like I feel like I'm reading like poetry. It's like this this is a comic book I'm reading right now. Like this is ridiculous. Uh, I really like Swamp Thing. Watchmen's really good. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, obviously. I mean, some of the stuff he did with uh, when he wrote the Superman. He lost was Lost Stories of Superman. Is that my my totally uh, well, the one? The one I really like was that uh, Whatever Happened to Man of Tomorrow? Yeah, that's that the one. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
Chris, do you got a favorite other movie about anarchy or post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic that is similar in vain to uh, V for Vendetta? Oh, well, V for Vendetta is not, I wouldn't consider it post-apocalyptic. It's more dystopian. Um, yeah, sure. Man, I like a lot of dystopian stuff, though. So, um, Me too. <laughs> that's one of my favorite genres. Um, you know, I... Actually, the the one the one um, recently that I really got into was um, Ready Player One, um, which is sort of in the same vein, not really, but um, for for all you fucking '80s fans out there, uh, especially if you were a gamer in the '80s, read that fucking book because you'll love it. And if you get the audio book from Audible, fucking Will Wheaton reads it. So, um, oh shit, really? Yeah, um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't read that many comic books, <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, that's so I can't really speak on many comics, but um, I like Hugh Howey's um, Wool, which I guess that's, that's more post-apocalyptic, um, but it's, I, I feel like it's also dystopian, Um Big fan of Fallout games. <laughs> they, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, again, that's more post-apocalyptic than dystopian. But um, yeah, Ready well, Player One. Ready, Ready Player One is probably um, the closest to the genre we're talking about that I have enjoyed recently. Okay, cool. We'll have to give that a look. And the reason I the reason I consider V for Vendetta to be post-apocalyptic. Is in the graphic novel. It, it is really. <laughs> it's post. It's post nuclear war. Yeah. Um, and in the in the movie, what was a disease? Saint, Mar- Saint, Mar- Saint, Mar- Saint Mary's virus. Jeez. Yeah, the Saint Mary's virus. I, I mean, mean still, I I understand that, but like even in the book, like you don't, you're not looking at a uh, like a fallout world. Like you're looking at a civilization that's still relatively intact. So like, even though like the the book sort of hints at post-apocalyptic, like it still doesn't have that feel because you're not seeing you're not seeing shit in ruins, yeah. you know. Right. So I, it's post. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I post-apocalyptic. <laughs> I wouldn't even it's, no, I wouldn't even say that because they didn't they didn't have to rebuild anything. <laughs> well, we, they, there was the government yeah. maybe they had to rebuild rebuild the government but as far as like infrastructure and stuff it all was relatively intact well and, i'm trying to remember the nuclear war that was hinted at actually happened in and Poland and, and, and we are we are we are arguing over a fucking stupid point right now <laughs> it's not stupid oh. damn it <laughs> I, I didn't even consider this argument uh, like i called obi-wan a child molester or something he was I, I, no, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, I guess, I guess if you if you take, um, well, my phone's dinging. Sorry, um, uh, I should have put that on silent. I guess if you if you take, I mean, I guess technically it might be a post-apocalyptic, but given that England was relatively untouched, <laughs> I would I would I would consider it more dystopian than anything else. Okay, I can, yeah, I can I, give I'm, you that. I, I'm definitely on board with that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Paul, um, out of five dead fascist dictators, <laughs> how many dead fascist dictators do you give the book, and how many do you give the, the movie? 
Oh man, I don't know how. I'm just gonna go with a normal grading scale because you just fucking. I drank too much wine for that shit. Oh okay. Um, so I'm gonna give uh, <laughs> the book an A and the movie a B plus. I, I don't get the reference, but I'll try to follow you. <laughs> and Chris, how about you? Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna flippy floppy right here, and um, okay. but I will go with your star rating. the The movie okay. five stars, the book four and a half. Okay, I can see that. And I'm going to give the book five dead fascist dictators, and I'm going to give the movie three dead fascist dictators. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous. I would give it two if it were just up to me, but after talking it out, I feel a little more kindly towards it. Because <laughs> you're, you're such a purist. Oh, and his name was Sutler, by the way. Not- Sutler, yeah, that was yeah. it. That was it. Driving okay. me crazy. Well, no, me too, because you know what? In an hour, I was going to be looking it up on the Internet and doing whiskey shots. But I can't believe I forgot this. <laughs> Right on. Well, hey, Chris, so what do you guys got coming up uh, on Return to Camp Blood here pretty soon? When is this episode coming out? This will come out, actually, uh, this will be out tonight at midnight. Okay. Um, well, um, on Friday, you can catch our interview with uh, Harry Manfredini. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah, I, I wasn't present for that one, but the guys did a really fucking excellent job. And um, Manfredini, Manfredini actually... Um, Hence at some gameplay in the game that we didn't previously know. So be sure to check that out. Um, CampBloodPodcast.com slash 49, I think it is. If it's not, you can just go to the website and find it. Um, and then I think also that same day we are going to be live streaming a moving movie commentary of the first film, Friday 13th, 1980. Um, that'll be on blab.im, I think. Um if you hit up our Facebook page or go on our Twitter, you'd be able to find the link. I don't know it right off the top of my head. Somebody has actually started a, a Modesto Comic Con, and they've got Sam J. Jones from 1980s Flash Gordon coming. Did you get a table? I'm getting. I'm hey, getting man, we we we, we so. have we have we have good luck with uh, Facebook Live too. You know, and that's that's one of the things that Chris probably talk off air. Well, you know, what, let's go ahead, let's wrap this up, and there's no need to, for everybody to hear our behind the scenes bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got Chris, give us, I got I got go I got two more beers left, so yeah, we can push yeah. it for a little bit longer if you want. Yeah, no problem. So Chris, um besides you having the the live event coming up on Friday, give us your website and your Twitter and all your rundown there. Uh yeah, you can you can find our show at campbloodpodcast.com. Um we're on Facebook, Camp Blood Podcast, uh Twitter at Camp Blood Pod. Um yeah. So we got all the things. Uh, I have an Instagram account, too, for the show, but I don't use it a whole lot. Um, but feel free to follow it if you can find it. Um, and I'm considering starting Snapchat uh, for the show, but that's that's still in the planning process right now. But, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, and the website is the main are the main places you can find us. Awesome. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. You can find us on the web at geekishcast.com. You'll find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash geekishcast. And I tweet from at the Geekish Cast. So long, everybody.